Well, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I, I also want to affirm the reality that Mother's Day is not easy for a lot of folks. And so to those who, who maybe have wanted to be mothers and have not been able to be, for those of you who maybe have not the greatest relationship with your mother, it's interesting that even though we call God Father, we also read that he cares for his children like a mother. He draws them close to his breasts and he keeps them safe. So I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms and to many of you who are spiritual moms. Thank you for your service there as well. And I also want to say, if you are about to be a mom, here's my one little piece of advice from a person who is not a mom. <laughs> Show up, love your child, trust in the Lord. And my mother, who was not a very good singer, taught me a song that I still remember and appreciate. So maybe you can teach this to your future child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That simple truth is basically all I got to say for my sermon this morning in a way as well. So we are going to be starting a series working through the book of Philippians, which is a, a brief letter or, or an epistle, you might call it, written by Paul to a church that he starts. And it's filled with great verses. There are probably verses and passages from there that you don't even know are from Philippians, but you read it on a coffee mug. You saw it stitched in a pillow at somebody's house. It is chock full of these verses. But it's a passage, excuse me, it's a book that's just filled with this tone of love and grace and care. And that's, that's in a lot of the other books that Paul writes. But this church in Macedonia has a different tone through the entire letter. So even though we're starting a series in Philippians, we're actually going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 16, because I think it's helpful for us to understand how this church got started. Who were the people that kind of became the, the foundation or the bedrock of this church? So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to flip over to Acts chapter 16. We're going to read and stop and talk about things, read, stop, talk about things. But before we get to our text, let's, let's pray one more time. Lord God, we thank you for the faithfulness of others who brought the gospel to the nations, to people like us. We are grateful for the faithfulness of those who were praying for our salvation, for those who had the, the boldness to share the gospel with us so that we would know the joy of salvation. And we are grateful for salvation because it's a miracle. You bring dead to life. Through the power of the gospel, you draw all kinds of people to your church because together we better display you, the glorious, gracious, good God. So be with your church, Lord. Let us be a, a, a 
these mosaic picture with, with different backgrounds and strengths and weaknesses. But when gathered together, we display for the rest of the world the goodness of God. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us as we look at your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 16 we're going to be working through a lot of Acts, almost all of, excuse me, all of chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 6. And Luke writes this, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they, meaning Paul, Silas, and himself, Luke, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samthrace, and then the following day into Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we remained in the city some days. So Paul is in modern-day Turkey, and he is trying to bring the gospel into this area that would be known as Roman Asia, right? Kind of central Turkey, in a way, if you think about that. And for some reason, as he's trying to journey in there, the Spirit is not allowing them to go forward. I don't know how or or what the means was that the Spirit was using to, to hinder them from going, But as they continue to go, they're not able to get into this area. And eventually they have this vision and they travel across the sea westward to Macedonia. And there's a few things I think we can learn here just in these couple verses from Paul's example. Church, I pray that we would see Paul's trusting obedience. Paul and his band of brothers show this trusting, faithful obedience. They're diligently working to do a God-honoring thing, right? They're trying to bring the gospel to places where the gospel hasn't gone yet. That seems like something you would think God would want to allow them to do. It's it's not evil. It's what, what they've been called to do. Why is he stopping them from going? And and the scripture doesn't tell us why. It doesn't answer this question. But something I think you should notice here is that Paul and his companions don't throw up their hands the first time they hit a barrier. They know that God has called them to, to bring the gospel, to plant churches. They try to go. It doesn't happen. They travel to another city. They try again. They're hindered there again. And then they eventually travel down into the port city of Troas, probably thinking, right, port city, there's some main roads that head eastward into the region that they want to go to. So they, they set up camp there, probably praying 
preparing to head. Hopefully now the spirit will let us go into this area of Asia. But instead they have a vision. Pause here for a moment. Think. Do you get discouraged when you're doing something and it doesn't come easy? I'm a pastor, been doing this for a little while. And there are times I want to throw up my hands and say, well, this obviously isn't what God wants me to do because it didn't work the first time. I'm out. Or I'm going to go focus on some other person. There's been times with, with, with men and, and women that have had the, the privilege of discipling where the first couple times when I kind of made inroads into their life, they put up walls saying, ah, I, don't, I don't have time for this or I don't want to talk to you. If I gave up, I wouldn't have had the relationship I have with them now. So I, I want to say, note this, while Paul is directed eventually to go to Macedonia, he doesn't give up the first time he hits a roadblock. He isn't discouraged instantly. I want to say this very carefully. Often, key in on the word often, often is not the word never or always. It's often, often a no from God means there's a yes somewhere else. Not always. Sometimes no means wait and try again. So just want to couch that. I don't want you to be like, well, God said no, so now here, that's not the situation. Often, not always, there isn't always a better amen or a better yes. Sometimes it's suffering through the no to actually get the yes in the thing he first said no to. So hold that in your mind. And then as Paul is there, he has this vision known as the Macedonian call. And I love it. In verse 10, it says, we immediately... There's no hesitation. Paul doesn't linger and negotiate. He isn't like, hold on here, God. You called us here. At least that's what I thought. You want us to bring the gospel into this area, into this region. That's what I thought. And now you're telling us to go the opposite direction? That doesn't make any sense. You don't read that in Acts. You read immediately. Which means they, they're all in. They go right away. They get on a boat the next day. They're all in. Church, we have to respond in similar fashion when God shows us something. We're not called to negotiate with our king. We're called to be obedient to him. But, but I felt like he called me here. Maybe he did. And, and I'm sure that Paul and, and Luke and Silas and the others who were traveling learned a lot in their travels there. We don't know all the things that maybe the conversations had or the interactions they've had. But then God calls them to something else and they go instantly, immediately. Their trusting obedience is something we all can grow in. And their trusting obedience will manifest later in the passage as we continue reading through. But, but we'll get to that in a moment. Before we do, let's look at Paul as he gets here to Macedonia. He comes to the, the port city of Neapolis and he travels the road to the capital city of the region, Philippi. It's a very Roman city. If you were a citizen of that city, you were a citizen 
of Rome, which gave you the privileges of a Roman citizen. It's called Philippi because it's named after King Philip, who was Alexander the Great's father. He initially starts the city. The city falls in disarray, and eventually Caesar sends some retired Roman military leaders to the city to reestablish the city. It's very Rome. The only thing I can think of is if you were to go to certain cities in North Carolina around Fort Bragg, it's, it's very American there, right? The flag flies on everybody's door, right? It, it's, 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 everybody's bumper sticker has, you know, their, they got their army bumper sticker on there. There's a lot of bumper stickers that says army mom. Here you go, mothers. That one's for you, right? Like. That was this city. But who does Paul meet when he goes there? Take a look here. We're going to start in uh, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she was baptized, and her household as well, and she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed on us. Something you need to know is it took 10 Jewish men to live in a city to establish a synagogue. That's how small the Jewish population was in the city of Philippi. They're not in a synagogue. They're meeting at the river or the, one of the creeks that ran by just outside of the city to go and pray. So Paul, not having a synagogue to go to, goes out there to find the people who are praying, finds Lydia and some other women. And so the first person we meet, the first Christian in Europe is a woman named Lydia, and she's affluent. She's a seller of, of, of dyed clothes, of these purple clothes. She's affluent. She has knowledge and wisdom. She, she's a God-fearer. Right? She's not Jewish. Here's the thing that's interesting. Her name's Lydia, which comes from Lydian, which is actually another name for the very region that Paul is trying to go to when he's called to Macedonia. So I know it's purely mysterious happenstance that the very first convert in Macedonia is a woman from the city of Thyatira, which is right smack in the middle of Asia, the very region that Paul was trying to go to. Just by chance, please hear my sarcasm. Paul is moving in the opposite direction. And the first person who comes to hear the gospel and is saved is an Asian woman. You can almost imagine Paul and Silas and Luke being like, oh, that one was for us. Thanks, God. <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's amazing. She's a God-fearer, right? She's, she's not Jewish, but she has already put away the pantheon of gods that she worshipped before. And she is 
understands and has heard the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And, and I think she would be aware of, of what God has called of people. I love the, that you had the, 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 the catechism here earlier in the service. We were talking about the law and the purpose of the law and, and sin. And you can imagine Lydia sitting there being like, okay, I get the law, but how do I do that? Because I am not fulfilling the law. And random guy, Paul, shows up and starts preaching the gospel about the one who's the fulfillment of the law. You can almost imagine the joy that would start to bubble up in the heart of Lydia. Paul sits there and he has a conversation with her. And the Lord opens her heart to hear him. She has financial means and she opens up her home. It becomes the base of the church. God uses the affluence of Lydia to establish his home church body in Philippi. It's pretty amazing that that's the first person God has to meet. But there's more continuing on here in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and he brought and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her the very day, the very hour. The first person we meet is this, meet is this affluent woman. And the second person we meet is an enslaved girl. A girl who's, who's enslaved, not just to humans right she has masters who are making money off of her because she has this it calls a spirit of divination she's like a fortune teller whatever it is that's within her controlling her giving her this power they're making money but she's enslaved not just to these human masters but the very spirit that's in her is enslaving her as well and she is i love it she's marching around she is declaring behind them you know maybe following them as they walk around these are the men of the servant of the most high god and that is bothering paul she's speaking the truth but we have to understand the context if you just say they're, they're men to the most high God. Most people there, the most high God goes by the name of Zeus or the Roman name Jupiter. It doesn't go by the name of Yahweh. So in some ways, people are like, oh, we know what they're about, but they don't because that's not the God that Paul and Silas and Luke are preaching. And I think when it says that Paul is annoyed or he's angry, he's not really angry with the girl. He's grieved at the enslavement that she's experiencing, specifically by this spirit, this spirit of divination. But a more literal translation would actually say she has a spirit of python, a serpent spirit. I think Paul is grieved by her control 
what she's experiencing. I think he is saddened and annoyed that she is a creature made in the image of God and this demonic spirit is marring her. So what does Paul do? He doesn't sit down like he did with Lydia and say, well, let me tell you how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Let me explain to you why Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. That's not what he does. He commands the spirit to leave her. He, he does a miraculous thing, and she's changed. Her eyes are open, and for the first time, she sees a greater master, one who's not out to exploit her, but one who is there to care and protect her. She's not saved by acts of reasoning. She's saved by a miraculous work of God's power. Let's see what happens here next. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city, right? They're not like us. They're these foreigners. They've come in here to stir up the pot. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in and attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and they gave an order to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Listen up here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they took them the same hour of the night and they washed their wounds This is the first time they're getting care for their their beating. They washed their wounds and and he, the jailer, was baptized at once. He and all his family and they brought them up into his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The third person of the church that we, of of Philippi, that we meet is this jailer. And when we meet the jailer, he seems very apathetic. Right? He's, He's apathetic. He's not caught up in the whole hollabaloo. He doesn't really care who Paul is and what Paul's talking about. 
He doesn't care about their ethnicity. He doesn't care about what they're teaching. He doesn't even really care about what the magistrates say because he doesn't even follow their orders. Keep him safe. I don't know what that meant to them, but the jailer's just like, well, I'm gonna put them in stocks. And when you think of stocks, please don't think of like Williamsburg, Virginia. You can go there and you can, I know I have a picture of Leah and I. We're sitting on a bench and her feet are like in those stocks and we're smiling Right? That's not the situation. These stocks were actually put on you to contort you into some pretty uncomfortable positions. And so chained in uncomfortable positions, what do we have? We have Paul and Silas and the others singing songs and hymns. Now, the jailer possibly was a former military soldier. He seems pretty devout at least to his task, kind of come to that conclusion because when he sees that the gates, that the doors are sprung open, he draws his sword ready to kill himself because the standard punishment for a soldier or a guard when they lost a prisoner was death. So we might ask ourselves, how does an indifferent, apathetic jailer Transformed to rejoicing in the Lord. Here's again where I think we see Paul's trusting obedience manifest. They're singing songs. They're praying. He's a jailer. His house likely was right above or connected to the very jail cells. He's hearing them. He's hearing them talk. He's hearing them sing songs. I think the jailer is converted by his experience, right? Anyone can sing songs when prison doors swing open, but it's the Christian who sings even when he's locked in the cell. Anyone can sing when they're, they're set free to do whatever they may, but it's the Christian who sings in a freedom that echoes in their life even when they are shackled to the wall. I don't know what the, they were singing. There's, there's plenty of psalms that they could have sung. I mean, perhaps they were singing from, from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting, name of, may the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Or maybe they're singing from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God's in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the works of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. A nose, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. 
Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The psalm goes on and on like this. Maybe he hears these things. He hears the songs. He hears their prayers. Cue earthquake. They were just talking about the mighty power of God. Their God hears prayers. Their God has power to do things. Not like the stone idols that they worship. The other folks worship. The earthquake shakes. He comes running in and he says, what do I have to know? Your God is way different than the gods we worship. And he's changed. These men show up with backs bleeding and seeping and he puts them in stocks and uncomfortable positions. He has no care who they are and all of a sudden he wants to care for their wounds and he sets food at his table for them. And he rejoices in the Lord. It's amazing. What changed him? I think he observed something in these men locked in his prison cell that he could not explain and justify in any other means that there was a God that they worshiped that did something. And I want to know what I need to know so that he could be my God too. So you have one who sits and receives reasoning. You have one who just is in a way rebuked. And then you have another who observes. Yet all of them are transformed. And just to, to finish out the chapter here, starting in um, verse 35. When it's day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reports the words to Paul saying, the magistrate have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And they have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrate. And the magistrate, they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Why? Because you can't beat a Roman citizen unless they are found guilty in court. You can't lock them up in jail unless you have reasons to. Now you could do that with other people who lived in that region as long as they weren't Roman citizens. I love that Paul isn't like, okay, let's go. Come on guys, we'll sneak out before any more trouble. He's like, no. Have those guys who, who did this to us come and, and march us out publicly. Why? I think it's because Paul cares about his church. Because if the ones who threw them in jail are marching them out publicly, they are declaring that these men are innocent. They're not guilty. Which helps protect the church. Means what they were about wasn't unlawful. That's, that's good news for the church. 
Verse 39, so they came and they apologized to them and they took them out and they asked them to leave the city. And again, I love Paul because Paul says, okay. So then they went out of the prison and they left the city. No, they're like, we're going to go visit Lydia. We're going to go visit our church. We're going to go visit the brothers and sisters. So they visit Lydia and when they had seen the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and then they departed. Hey, you're marching out saying we're not guilty. Great. We're going to spend some more time at the church before we leave. You could read this passage and think it happens in a few short days, but there's already a church there. Paul visits the brothers and sisters seeking to encourage them. Here's the thing I love about this, this, this church in Philippi. If you look at the three people who are changed by the power of God and the gospel, if you will, the, the three people that we know who are part of this church, you would say, that's an interesting church, wouldn't you? You have an affluent woman, meets the church likely met in her home, right? You have a, a poor slave girl. You have a, a, you know, maybe a former military and a different, like a jailer type. But like, this is, this is a very broad spectrum of people who are gathering together in this church. And Paul goes to visit and encourage them And here's the thing I think is interesting, church. God's church is meant to be a mosaic masterpiece. A mosaic masterpiece. And I'll let you in on a secret. As I was checking out this church in this region, you can go online and you can find all the statistics, right? The census and all these things. And I don't know if you're aware of this, But this is a very white neighborhood. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to say we need to force things or whatever. But even though we maybe all have very similar color, we are not all the same here. A piece of mosaic art, right? I, I have a picture. I think we have a picture here. This is this this piece of art is from around. 2 B.C., they think. And they came across it, and it doesn't do justice here on this screen, but a piece of mosaic art is, is made of closely set various colored pieces of stone or glass or porcelain. When laid correctly, it makes a beautiful and intricate picture. That's what the church is meant to be. The church is, is meant to be made up of, of people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different uh, education, different uh, strengths, weaknesses, personalities. But when, when placed all together and close together, right? If you took these same tiles and you spread it out by just six inches, it's not a picture anymore. But when together, 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 we display the manifold glory of God. These three people are just three pieces of a church that Paul goes and encourages. These three people 
are so drastically different. They all had different backgrounds. They all came to know the Lord in different ways. And I want to encourage you, take a moment. Let's be real here. When you look about your sphere of influence, does everybody look like you? Does everybody have the same education as you? Does everybody kind of do the same things that you do? Do you believe the lie that God only saves certain kinds of people? That God only saves in a certain way? If you do, you're wrong. So I'm willing to bet if you talked to the person sitting next to you and then you got up and you talked to the person on the other side of the room and you asked them, how did you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? They would give you a different story. The reality is God saves people from all different backgrounds. The only consistent thing in the people that God saves is that they are unworthy sinners. That's the only thing that we have that's the same. And so we can gather together and we can look and say, look at the power of the gospel. It makes people who who the world would say, those people would never get along. And you say, oh, we don't just get along. That's my brother. That's my sister. When the world looks at the church, it should say, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense how you guys all get along. And maybe you don't have a great answer to that. Maybe your answer is, I don't get it either, but we hope in the Lord and he did something. This church, and by this church, I mean the church throughout time has always been made as a masterful piece of mosaic art. We are one body. We all need one another. We all help each other grow and mature. Together, we help each other. Together, we better display the image of Christ. The church is for all peoples. Not just ones that look like us or sound like us. And I can say that because I say things weird. Because I'm from New York. And you guys are from the middle of the country and supposedly don't have accents. But it is a roof. (laughs) Not a rough. (laughs) Paul loves you. Because Paul loves the church that is all different kinds of people. I love you. Because I love that God takes people from all different backgrounds and brings us together. And I pray that you would love us, the church, as well. Because God is doing something amazing. And I pray that Midland Free would be marked as a church that loves people of all backgrounds. Because maybe you were a Lydia. Maybe you were the slave girl. Maybe you were the jailer. Maybe you were the chemist at Dow. Maybe you're the single mom. Maybe you had some other kind of background and experience. But God saved you through the power of the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. So you are a piece of the artwork that displays his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for church that is made of of people of different backgrounds because what that does is it sets you as preeminent over all things because you 
are the thing that we have together. You are the thing that's consistent. You are our hope. You are our strength. You are the good news that we declare. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Help us to be a beautiful display of Christ Jesus as you grow the church up into him, our head, our hope, our savior and king. We pray this in his precious name, amen.